great to be with you. And uh, I'm seriously like this morning was an amazing opportunity to be able to to be here, to be, uh, Luke and I were talking earlier, I think I've been able to have the honor and the privilege to preach and speak in almost every one of your venues. And now you own this, which is amazing. And uh, I got to drop in on Friday night. When I got here on Friday, we came by and man, it was just hopping and going and the music and I blew a couple of eardrums and had to go get some repairs, right? And coming back and just great to see everyone and the team and all of that. And just to be a part of the journey uh, to see you guys is, is amazing. And uh, I think I'm probably more excited about seeing you than you are seeing me. So, because everybody's kind of like, okay, whatever. No? Okay, good. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks for laughing. I appreciate that. It makes me feel good. But uh, I'm getting fish and chips at the end of this. I don't really care what you people think. And uh, yeah, I came all the way for that. And so uh, it is... Uh, it is really, really, really great. And, you know, the, what, what's amazing is, in all, in all honesty and sincerity, is to see what, how God's working. Nothing works like the local church works when a local church works the way a local church is designed to work. And you're the hope of the world. And to be able to be here in this room and to see this facility and to know the journey. Uh, I first met your pastors when there was about three dozen of you. Uh, and to be able to see the journey from there, which has been awesomely amazing, to know uh, what God's done, and then to him to drive, and there's a sign on the street that the city put up that said, Liverpool, one church this way. I, I said to him, that, that sign will never be dirty, it'll never be crooked, it'll never be down, because that's his sign. I, I love, I, I've been by, I think, four times now, and I get excited every time, because I just... Because what it says is, is that not that you're official, you've been official a long time, not that you're a church, a church isn't about a building, but, but, but a building facilitates what God's doing. And what it means is, is that what God's doing in your midst is growing at such a level that it requires this. And this is only the beginning, amen? Yeah. Amen, seriously, this is only the beginning. And so, uh, you know, if you're just looking for a little holy huddle, this isn't the place to be. But if you wanna change the world, you're in the right place. Yeah. And, uh, and to see that happen and to see all of that and to see what God's doing and the great things. And that doesn't happen without leadership. No, nothing likes change but a wet baby and, and nothing falls in place but dirt. It doesn't just happen. If being a Christian was easy, everybody would do it. And if, and if, and if growing a great church and being a part of a great church was easy, everybody, you'd have one on every corner. But they're not. And so the reality is, is that you have incredible leadership that love God, that love you, that sacrifice, that serve. Would you give it up for your senior pastors, Pastor Luke and Emma Bryant? Big, big, big time. Yep. Amen. Amen. Even though he is a pyromaniac, amen? So it is great to be here. I, I've got a limited amount of time, and I'm a long-winded communicator, so I needed to, to get this thing going. I also want to just say to you uh, a big thanks or a big welcome or hello from, from, from my wife and from my girls. So there's going to be a picture of my wife, Tammy, who's not able to be here. We've been married 23 years. And, uh, and so and then my two daughters, you'll see on your left is Ava. That's my youngest. She's 17. And then my oldest, Anna, is 21. And so, uh, and that's me in the middle. I'm in both pictures. Forget that one. So anyhow, so, uh, so they're back in Wisconsin. And yesterday I got a, 
uh, a text from my wife and my youngest that were looking at prom dresses in, in Chicago, and, and I was like, nope, too short, nope, no, way too revealing, nope. So I'm looking for more of that Victorian era dress where it starts here and goes to the floor, right? So um, anyhow, we're in this series called Mind Games, and if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's going to uh, be on the screen when we get there. And again, if this is your very first weekend to Liverpool One Church, thank you for coming. Come back next week when you hear a real communicator with a real accent. Amen. Uh, so, but today I, uh, I, I want to talk to you about depression, which is not one of those messages or sermon titles where people get all geeked out about, but it's something that's all too common that if you're not dealing with it, uh, you know someone that is. Um, it's part of this world. We, you know, we live in a broken, fallen world. And you and I, as humanity, were never created to handle the weight of sin. You, you know that, don't you? We're, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And according to Jeremiah in the Old Testament, we're knit together in our mother's womb. And God has a future and a plan and a hope. But we're feet of clay. We're, we're, we're flawed, failed humanity. And we, but by the grace of God, right, we're all in that situation. And so the reality is we all have issues. Superman had kryptonite. Everybody has kryptonite, and it appears in different ways. You know what I'm talking about? We all have. Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. We all have something or some things in our life that just aren't perfect. Uh, maybe there were things that we had no control over. Maybe there were things that we made choices. Maybe there were wrong decisions. But, but nonetheless, that's where we find ourselves. And out of that, there's a byproduct of the emotional being that we are and, 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 and the struggles that we have. And one of the issues that we find ourselves as far as a mind game is depression. You know, we, we, we go through in life hills, mountaintops, and valleys. And we love the mountaintop experiences, don't we? I mean, we, we love the times when everything's going great. We get the pay raise. We get the job. Uh, you know, the, the girl says yes. Uh, you know, you've, you're, you're preparing for a family and all of a sudden and there's a baby on the way. Uh, you know, all of those things in life, you, you, you finally, you get the house or whatever it is that you're going after. But, but, and, and that's the kind of stuff we put on social media. That's the kind of stuff we put on Instagram. Nobody puts like, oh, I look fat. I'm going to put that on social media, right? <laughs> I'm having a bad hair day. I'm going to put that up there. And no, no, nobody puts anything that's, we always put the, the, we always put the best stuff, the highlight reel. And we see everybody else's highlight reel. And we look at our own life and we go, I'm not living that life. I, I, I'm not getting to go there. I, I don't have that many friends. I don't have that many followers. I don't have that many. And it gets this comparison. And there's just valleys and that happen in life where the job doesn't work out. The relationship doesn't work out. Where the kids don't always do what you want them to do where you felt like you heard from God and it didn't work out the way you thought it was going to. Maybe you just did something stupid because sometimes stupid could cost you more than sin. You know what I'm talking about? And you find yourself in this valley and you're in this place where you're like, I don't really know how I got here or maybe you do. I don't know how to get out. It's these times where these valleys are where we're tested and our character is developed. Character is never developed on the mountaintop. Character is developed in the valleys. It's in those times, that sifting that goes on. We don't talk a lot about that in church anymore, but, but there's this sifting. It's when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, 
Satan wants to sift you like wheat. And the only thing that's keeping you is me. There are some of you in this room that God has incredibly amazing things in store. And the enemy is standing in the, in, in the, in the jury room of God and the, the courtroom of heaven and just wants to sift you. And, and there is going to be a crucible that's going to come in your life, not to destroy you, but it's this valley that's going to create character in your life and grow you. Because if you're on a paved road today, if life is pretty good, it's because somebody before you paved it. And if you're not on a paved road, it's because you're paving it for someone else. It's not fair. No, fairness entered in the garden, right? God's not a fair God, but he's a just God. And there's two totally different things with that. Because fairness is we should die and go to hell in our sins. You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm a sinner and, and, and I'm, I, I, I should deserve hell, but God loved me so much and loved you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, John 3, 16, that if I were to believe in him, I would have everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus, John 3, 17, says he didn't come into the world to condemn me to be some cosmic killjoy, but rather he came into the world that through him I might be saved. So fairness is I'm dead in my sins. Justice is that there's a God in heaven, a father who loves me and cares for me, sends his only son. Valleys. God didn't want us to stay in the valley, but he does lead us. Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me, your rod and your staff, you comfort me. So how do we deal with those valleys? How do we deal with the mind games that happen out of depression? First Kings chapter 18, we're introduced to a man named Elijah, who's a man of God, one of the most prolific prophets in the Old Testament. And he's God's voice. And I don't have time to read it, but I just want to paraphrase, and you can read it on your own, but chapter 18 talks about he goes to the top of Mount Carmel and there's 450 prophets of Baal. These prophets of Baal were, uh, they were uh, idol worshipers and, and they didn't worship God and they didn't worship the same God, as, especially as Elijah as you and I do, Jehovah God. And so they're there on top of the mountain and, and Elijah's kind of sick of this false God stuff. So he just kind of has a showdown and, and he just says, look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to make an altar, and I'm going to make an altar. And you're going to pray, pray to, your, to your God, Baal. And, if, and, and I'm going to pray to Jehovah God. And whichever God brings fire down from heaven and consumes the altar and, and the, the, the sacrifice that's there, that'll be God. And the loser will serve the winner. This is pretty much what it is. And so he says, matter of fact, I'll just let you go first. And so these 400, so there's one Elijah that's standing against 450 prophets of Baal. And so these, these prophets, they, 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 these, these worship, idol worshipers, these, these sinful men, they begin to cry out to God. And, and I love how scripture, because if you read scripture, you can't read it super sanitized. It, it's, we, we, we read it way too like a Sunday morning vacation Bible school, Sunday school, where it's all really nice and it's on a little flannel board. And No, no, this is gritty. He starts yelling at them, Elijah does, and goes and taunts them. You're talking about sarcasm. It's all over. And he's a man of God, so just put that together. And so he just says to them, he says, maybe God can't, your God can't hear you. Maybe he's deaf. Call it, cry a little louder. And so they do. He's just poking the bear, man, just going at them. And, 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 then, and then they keep going, well, maybe you're not getting your God's attention, so maybe you need to self-mutilate yourself, which was something that was a common practice in idolatry in the Old Testament. So they began to cut themselves, do all kinds of crazy things to get their God's attention. He's just jeering them on. And then the last thing he says, it's in the King James, maybe your God is relieving himself. 
He's going to the bathroom. He's going to the loo, right? He's going to the toilet. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Read it. It's, I didn't write it. Don't, don't email me. Email. If you have a complaint about today's message, it's Luke at liverpool1.com. So anyhow, the, he just taunts them. Nothing happens. He steps up and he says, okay, I, I want the, the, the altar to be, to, be, to, be, to be drenched with water. I want you to do it again and again. And finally, you know what? I tell you what, I want a moat. I want a ditch dug around the altar and I want it standing water. I want it to be so saturated with water that there is no human way possible that this thing could be lit. And when it's completely saturated, he stands there and he prays a very simple prayer and he calls out to God. One man in front of hundreds of these other prophets of Baal and said, oh God, today that you would show that you're Jehovah, that you're God, that you are the God, that there is none beside you. I pray that you would open up the heavens and you would consume this altar with fire. The Bible says that fire falls from heaven so quickly and so violently you can hear it. Have you ever been around a huge bonfire? It's just, and it's in a split second. And the Bible says that it, it literally consumed the sacrifice, the animals that were there. It charred every bit of wood that was there to where it was nothing but ash. And it licked up and wicked all of the water so it was dry ground. It was like a mic drop moment. And then Elijah goes after and he slays with a sword and kills all 450 of those prophets. That's what I love about men of God. They don't just stand in the pulpit and preach, but they actually fight. Amen? Just another thought. So anyhow, that's chapter 18, mountaintop. Look at chapter 19. The very next day, verse 1, Ahab, who's the king of Israel, told Jezebel, that's his wife, the queen, all that Elijah, the man of God, had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. And Jezebel sent her messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as one of them uh, by this time tomorrow. So if I don't kill you like you just killed the prophets of Baal by this time tomorrow, may I be dead. She's, it's a complete death threat. Look at verse three. Then he was afraid. Let's rewind the tape on that one. Okay, what, what did they just say? Like, this is a guy who just called down fire from heaven. This is a guy that taunted them and jeered them and prayed a prayer. I mean, I've prayed a lot of prayers, but I've never called fire down from heaven. Luke, have you ever called fire down from heaven? Emma has, but you haven't, right? Okay, so, so it's one of those, like, I've never done this. I mean, I, I, I think I would be like a rock star. Like, I, I just think, like, at that point, it's like, holla. You know what I'm saying? Like... And I mean, just like it's one of those moments and you're just going, wow. And there is this one lady who has given him a murderous threat and he's afraid. How do you go from that experience on the mountaintop to this valley in 24 hours? He arose and he ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So that means he's alone at this point. Verse 4. And, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die. Full-blown depression. I mean, like, he has gone from a mountaintop to the very lowest valley he can. People that battle depression, this isn't uncommon. 
Because one day everything's fine. The next thing, it's just like all hell's broken loose. And it's over something that's relatively from the outside, very inconsequential. And, and it really doesn't necessarily make sense. But internally, uh, the, the emotional state, all of that is happening at the same time. In this wilderness, it's a universal understanding in the Old Testament that it's a place of loneliness. It's a place of lostness. It's an uncomfortable place. It's a forgotten place. It's usually a dark place. And it's a fearful place. That's the valley. And he goes from calling down fire from heaven to being into a very dark, lonely, lost, uncomfortable, forgotten, fearful place where he wants to die. Full-blown depression. And in the depression, that's when God begins to speak. This is interesting to me. God doesn't speak on the mountaintop. He moves on the mountaintop. He shows up on the mountaintop. But he speaks in the depression. Think about this. In your life, when the greatest days in your life, the mountaintop experiences are happening, God's not really speaking. He's moving. He's there. It's like the book of Esther. God's word, God's name is never uttered or written in the book of Esther, but yet he's all over the pages. Mountaintop. But in the valley, that's when God speaks. So maybe today, if you're in a dark, forgotten, lonely, desolate, uncomfortable place, God's going to speak to you in a way that somebody who's having a wonderful week, they may experience God and see God, but God's not speaking. Because sometimes in this, here's what we think. There's something wrong with me. No, you're human. That's the issue. I did something wrong. No, it's your own humanity that you're dealing with. Elijah does nothing wrong. But remember, he's made of flesh and blood. Remember, he's flawed humanity. Remember, just like Superman has kryptonite, this is his issue. And so the reality is, is that it's not uncommon for people who have major mountaintop experiences and are major mountaintop leaders to deal and battle with crazy amounts of depression. Did they do something wrong? No. Have they miscalculated it? No. Did they misstep? No. Did they do? No. It's just, it's, it's, it's the hard wiring of, 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 of where they are and what's going on. And it's hard for people that don't deal with depression to understand this. Winston Churchill called it the black dog. He would write in his journal, the old black dog is around. Abraham Lincoln, who was one of the most prolific presidents in the United States history, dealt with severe depression. It's not uncommon, and, and, and especially when you're doing something great for God or you're doing something great in your life and when you're fulfilling your life purpose, you're not missing it. It's just that we were never designed to create that and to handle that amount of emotional load sometimes and that amount of spiritual load sometimes and that amount. Remember, Ephesians 6 is true. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness and everything that exalts itself for the name and the power and the glory of God. And you find yourself alone. You find yourself uncomfortable. You find yourself forgotten. You find yourself in a dark place. And, and, then, and then it just gets exasperated as you begin to look at social media and everybody else's highlight reel. And you go, God, where are you in this moment? God, what did I do in this moment? You don't do anything. You're human. And sometimes people go, well, maybe, maybe if I was closer to Jesus. I don't know how much closer you get than this. I've never called fire down from heaven. I don't know anyone who has. 
You have to go from that to that? Is he crazy? No. No, he was a man of God. What happens? It's his human condition. So what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with that? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because the Bible begins to, un, to unpack what happens in, in chapter 19 real quickly. What occurs in the valleys? First of all, God always provides in the valley. Always. He sustains you. Look at verse number five. And he, Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Man, I like that, don't you? Wake up and eat. Amen. All right. And he looked. That's how I'm having fish and chips later. Okay. And, and there was at his head a cake. I think that was like sticky toffee pudding, amen? Uh, on hot stones. Work with me, people. It's somewhere in there. And a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. Verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time. And he touched him and he said, arise and eat, for this journey is too great for you. It's beyond your ability. And he arose and he ate and he drank. And he went into, it went in the strength of that for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Anytime you see 40 in scripture, 40 is always a time of testing, a time of wilderness, a time of proving. Children of Israel were in the, were in the desert for 40 years. Jesus was, was, was fasted and was tempted and tried in the wilderness 40 days. When Jesus comes back, Acts chapter 1 records that he, he makes himself known after he is resurrected from the dead and he proves himself in his life with the disciples for 40 days. 40 is always a time of, pre, of proving, a time of testing, a time of trial. And in that moment, Elijah just is going under this tree to lay and die. He does nothing to help himself, but God shows up. He doesn't ask God for help, but God shows up. He doesn't ask God for food, but God shows up. He doesn't ask God for drink, but God shows up. And God doesn't just show up once. He shows up two times. And he doesn't just show up, but he explains why this is important. And he connects the dot that this is too great for you. That phrase, too great for you, is this is beyond your capacity. This is beyond how you're hardwired. But I'm going to put my super onto your natural, and I'm going to do something in your life, and I'm going to carry you till you get to the mountain of God, and I'm going to sustain you till you get where you're supposed to go. And for the next 40 days, you're going to be walking in this wilderness. For the next 40 days, there's going to be this, this, this trial. For the next 40 days, you're going to walk through this season. It, it doesn't show this lifting for 40 days. You're going to walk in this, because sometimes when you're in it, you're in it for a while. It's not always quick and easy. I, I wish we could just like lay hands on people and they get zapped and they're always healed and they're always recovered. Don't you wish that like you could lose weight that way? Like I could just grab a hold of my, my belt loops. Somebody lay hands on me and, and, and just that spirit of fat would be gone in the name of Jesus. <laughs> right? Boom. And I mean, I have to hold on my pants because they'd fall down. Praise God. And uh, I mean, I, I, I'd like to stand in that healing line. Amen. Not the pants dropping line, but the, the fat dropping line. <laughs> What's the problem? I'd go back to a buffet and I'd have fish and chips. That's the problem. That's why I'm in this position in the first place. Here's my point. Many times we want to be zapped, but there's a process. More times God works through the process than he does in that instant moment. 
And it's not that he hasn't healed you. It's not that he hasn't spoken his word on you. It's not that he's not sustained you, but it just takes a while. It's going to be a process. It's not going to happen tomorrow or next week, but you're going to be there and I'm going to sustain you and I'm going to give you what you need because I know this is bigger than you. I know this is more than what you can handle, but this is where you are and I'm going to show up and be the provision in your life. And he sustains you today and tomorrow until you get to the mountaintop. And then when you get to the mountain, when you get and you're in that season, God speaks. In the depression, in the valley, in the head games, God's voice cuts through all the clutter, all the confusion, and speaks in a way. I love how the Gospel of John says it, that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Look at it in verse 9. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, for the God of hosts, for the people of Israel. He gets real super spiritual. Having forsaken your covenant, they've thrown down the altars. They've killed your prophets with a sword. And I'm the only one left. They seek my life to take it away. Basically, I'm the only one that's holy. I'm the only one that's pure. I'm being a martyr for the gospel. Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go outside and eat worms. You know what I'm talking about? And verse 11, and he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind, kind of like today, tore the mountains and it broke it into the pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, and after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a low whisper. And God began to speak. When God speaks in the valleys, we love when he blows things up. We love when he does miracle signs and wonders. We love when it's just amazing, when it's just like, wow. But typically when God speaks, it's not in the earthquake. It's not in the fire. It's not in some cyclone. It's in the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. It's that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm alone. I'm staring up at the ceiling before I go to sleep. But God speaks. Do you understand that God still speaks today? The question isn't, is God speaking? The question is, are you listening? there's, There's not a shortage of God speaking. It's Are you listening? I mean, the Holy Spirit, the the Greek calls the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one that walks alongside. It's like a personal navigational system. It's like maps on your iPhone. It tells you exactly where you are and exactly where you're trying to go and the very best route in which to walk it, to drive it, or to taxi there. It tells you exactly what you need to know when there's a detour, when there's a route change, when there's any kind of a change that happens. God's speaking, and God's voice typically isn't big. God's voice typically isn't loud. Contrary to popular opinion, it's not always spectacular. Contrary to maybe the church you were raised in, It's usually just a low whisper, but it's in such a way, it's in such a tone, it's in that valley that God speaks. And why is it that God speaks? Because most of the time, it's in those valley experiences that we're truly humble and we're vulnerable and we're broken and we're open. Hey, let's just be honest. When we're spinning wheels and making deals, when we're at the top of the food chain, when we've just closed a deal with this client and that client, and we just got into university, and we just got our first job, and we just got a car we wanted, we just got the house we wanted, when everything else is going on, there is so much going on in our life that we don't really slow down to go, oh God, here I am. 
we're on the mountaintop, we're kind of making fun of the other prophets of Baal. That's what Elijah was doing. Not wrong, just busy. But when you're in that valley and you're in that place that's dark and that's uncomfortable, you get real humble real quick. You push everything out real quick. You begin to get yourself in a physical posture, an emotional posture, and a spiritual posture, and a mental posture of saying, God, speak, do what you want to do. And when God speaks, it's usually not booming, it's usually not loud, it's just very simple, it's just very much there. It's like, you know, I, I have two daughters, and there's a lot of times I have this conversation with my wife, Tammy. I, I, wasn't, I was raised in a home with all boys, and so we would fight and just, man, just black eyes and broken arms, and we were in the ER but every month, no joke. And, and my, dad would, my, mother would, my dad would say, if you're going to fight like that, go out in the yard and kill, kill each other, but just don't do it on your mom's new carpet, right? That's the way it was. But, my, uh, but I, I have a, went, ladies, right, all these... I call it the hormone Hilton sometimes. It's just like, it's all going on. And I'm like, you know, they don't really need me. And here's what Tammy said to me one time. She goes, she said, what they need is to know that you're there. Because there's something about when you're gone from a trip, Aaron, and you come back home, it's the cadence that you walk and the weight of your foot hitting the, striking the hardwood floor as you walk across the floor that the girls go, dad's home. His presence is here. All is well and all is right. See, mom nurtures, mom takes care of, mom does all those wonderful things. Tammy is, she's my hero. But for me, it's just that I'm here. And that's what God does in our life. When we're in that valley, it's his presence. It's not loud, it's not boisterous but you hear the strength in the step. You hear this, you, you feel the presence that's there. It's like Jesus on the Sea of Galilee when everything was going crazy and the disciples are losing their minds and Jesus is asleep and he sits up and he says, peace, be still. And if you read the rest of the story, he sits back down and goes to sleep because that's what a dad does. It's okay, go to sleep, I got this handled. There's no need to worry. Nothing's going to happen. I'm here. In the middle of that depression, that's exactly what God does. He speaks. And his plan is revealed. God always has a plan. Don't ever forget that. God always has a plan. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a plan for your marriage. He's got a plan for your kids. He's got a plan for your business. Even when you mess it up, even when you screw it up, he still has a plan. You're, you, listen, you're never at a place where you say something to God and God goes, wow, I didn't think about that. Can I get back to you tomorrow? I need to confer with the Holy Spirit and with the Son. Where's Jesus? Let's just talk about this right now. You're never going to say something that's going to go, okay, we need to. No, no. And can I just tell you that the call of God doesn't change because of your fragility in life. The call of God doesn't change because you feel emotionally waked. The call of God doesn't change because, because you want to die sometimes. The call of God doesn't change because of your humanity because he knew that when he called you. I don't know how we don't get this. God knew, God knew 47 years ago 
when I came into this world that I'd be on this stage tonight. God knew that you would be in this room. God knew that your path and my path would cross and that he knew in the dimension of time and space because he has no boundaries that he was gonna speak a word to your heart that wouldn't be from me but would be from him and it would go all the way to the core because you're called. Look, you're just as called as I am, whether you work in a factory, whether you're a stay-at-home parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you own a business, whether you're a pastor or a missionary, it doesn't matter. You're called. God's hands on your life. And even though you're dealing with depression and you're dealing with this and with that, and all the world is caving in, God's still there. The enemy of your soul is saying, no, he's not. You're done. You're finished. But the word of God says that the call of God that's on you is without repentance, which means it never lifts. I don't have time to read it, but in those verses right there, 15, 16, 17, and 18, he tells Elijah, so arise and go anoint the next king of Syria. Arise and go anoint the next king of Israel. And Elisha will become your successor, and you will resume your calling as my voice to my people. Woo! Because when God speaks, when God shows up, You don't need any other documentation. You don't need anything from anybody else. There is something. The power is what Paul talks about to the church in Rome. The power that raises Christ from the dead dwells within you. So greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You will overcome by by the blood that Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross and by the word of your testimony because you are not the tail, you're the head. Amen? Oh, my God, I'm gonna preach in just a minute. See what I'm saying? And it's in the middle of that. And you go, that's a bit hyping. No, 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 it's his voice, it's his word. It'll never turn back void. I think when we get to heaven, the one thing we're going to realize is how much more we could have done, how much more we could have seen, how much more abundantly and excessively great God wanted to do in our life. But you have to make a decision today. If you're in the valley of depression, are you going to stay there and die? Or are you going to depart from that place and live? Because God doesn't control you from some cosmic heavenly joystick. You're a free moral agent. You choose. You're going to follow Jesus? I don't know if it's that simple. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. 1 Kings 19, 19 says, and so he, Elijah, departed from there, from the place of depression. He departed from the valley. If you read the rest, he goes and he anoints the next king of Syria. He anoints the next king of Israel. He finds Elisha and he calls him out and the greatness that's in his life. Because there comes a point where you must choose to act upon God's leading. You must choose to leave the valley and the wilderness and the depression. You must decide with your feet and not with your head or your heart only. And you've got to follow the Lord and his leading out of that valley. Is it easy? Nope. May it come back? Yep. Is he still God? Oh, yes. He's God on the mountaintop. He's God in the valley. And I don't know what you're going through today. It doesn't really matter if I know. But he does. And what you sense right now is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And it's okay. You don't have to theologically understand all of it. I don't know how, I don't have to understand how electricity works to have light. I just flipped the switch. I don't know how all this works. Honestly, I, mean, I have 
several graduate degrees in theology, I don't get it all. The older I get, the more questions I have. But here's what I do know. God's word is yes and amen. Here's what I do know. God has a plan and a future for your life. Here's what I do know is that there's times when all hell's breaking loose and you have to stand in the gap and say, no, it's for me and my house where we want to serve the Lord. Here's what I do know. I'm going to stand in the gap for what God's called me to. I'm not going to give up on the dream that God's given me. I don't care what man says. I don't care what my my flesh says. I don't care what every devil in hell says. I'm going to stand here. Why? Because I know that God has called me. I know that God will sustain me. I know that God will provide for me. I know that God's will has been revealed into my life. And I'm going to choose to get up from this place and walk. I'm going to choose to depart from this place and go. I'm going to choose to process this out. It may be a process. That's okay. It's not always instantaneous. It, it, it may take you a season. That's okay. You may find yourself back here a few more times. That's okay. But I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. I think this is the most spiritually mature thing you can do is don't become weary in doing good. For in due season, if you don't quit, not if you pray more, not if you speak in tongues more. Woo, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. Not if you have more church services. But if you don't quit, just don't quit. The most spiritually mature thing you can do is say, I'm just not going to quit today. I'm not going to quit on the marriage today. I'm not going to quit on the dream today. I'm not going to quit on God today. I'm not going to quit on me today. Oh, and God shows up and he speaks in a way that I can't speak. You know, that's what's going to be so awesome. when we stand before Jesus and he calls us by name to hear that voice that spoke the stars into the sky and the world into existence, that drew us unto him to call us by name. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not good and perfect servant, but he didn't quit. He 